With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. Happy you joined us uh, here on Al Bernstein Unplugged, where we get a chance to talk to uh, the great names in the sport of boxing. And on this particular show, we're going to talk to a young man who wants to be one of the great names in the 154-pound division and could well be on the cusp of doing that. We're going to chat with Erickson Lubin, who, of course, uh, hopes to win the 154-pound title soon. But first, he'll have to get through Jason Rosario, a former champion, on June 26th on the pay-per-view card uh, that Showtime is doing, and I will be ringside for that, uh, in which Gervonta Davis takes on Mario Barrios. And uh, for Erickson Lubin, he takes on a tough cookie as he is a waiting. Uh, he hopes to fight the winner, of Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño, which is a fight that will be held in July, in which they will unify all of the 154-pound titles. So Lubin is hoping he can beat Rosario and then move on and win uh, all of the titles by facing the winner of that uh, match. Um, and, of course, if he did that against Jermel Charlo, a man who formerly beat him, uh, gave uh, Lubin the only loss of his career, uh, he would love that uh, eventual outcome, but a lot has to happen between now and then uh, for him to make that statement. Uh, as always, helping me uh, uh, navigate the waters here on Albernstein Unplugged and also helping in answering your questions that you send to me at Albernstein on Twitter, uh, my good friend Trip Mitchell. Hey, Trip, how are you? Well, uh, navigating, uh, just call me Gilligan. I'll be there glad you go. to help, help you out. And I'll be, I'll be some... uh, the... Uh, who was Jim Backus's character on that show? I forgot. Okay, the skipper. The, the, the rich oh no, guy. you're the millionaire with uh... the millionaire. I'll be the millionaire. That'll make me feel yeah. good. Okay, how about the professor? When you answer questions, you're very prof professorial. I think is how you say it, but it is a boxing show, so we'll be close enough. All right, they, well, I could I, be the professor. Yeah, true. I had someone ask me the other day, on a pay-per-view, do you guys approach it differently than a regular Showtime fight? Is there much of a different feel to it? Um, you know, not really. To be honest, there isn't. Uh, you are you have always have a total of four fights, so you always have that extra fight. Sometimes our Showtime cards are more often three fights, so you get one extra. And uh, and you are you're aware that it's uh, a different, uh, a, maybe a, a different event. But for the most part, there really isn't anything that's super different about your preparation or how we approach the show. And, uh, and we're certainly looking forward to June 26th with uh, uh, the Gervonta Davis Mario Barrios uh, pay-per-view, the one that will feature the Lubin Rosario fight. Uh, that one should be a lot of fun. It'll be in Atlanta. And 
uh, Gervonta Davis moving way up to 140 pounds to take on Barrios for one of the secondary 140-pound uh, titles that Barrios has. It's an interesting and bold gambit by, gambit by him. Okay, well, it should be very interesting. And uh, let's get to the questions. Bodie Broadus asks, how do you th think a mythical showdown at middleweight plays out between the 2017 Triple G and the 1985 Tommy Hearns? Fascinating question. I, I really think it's intriguing. Uh, and that is exactly the kind of middleweight matchup would make you salivate because, you know, in 19, the 1985 version of uh, Hearns fought a war with Marvin Hagler. And the two things that Marvin Hagler and Gennady Golovkin have in common are a rock hard chin. Uh, and Hearns tested Hagler's chin uh, sternly in the first round. Uh, and Marvin admitted he was stunned by one of the early right hands that Hearns hit him with. And <clears throat> Tommy Hearns went to war with Hagler, which turned out not to be his best strategy. I think the Tommy Hearns that we would see against Golovkin would be the Tommy Hearns that boxed for so many rounds against Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, I, I think he'll want to use his jab and his height and reach and drop in some right hands and try and keep Golovkin at bay. Golovkin, as I mentioned, is very hard to hurt. Hurting him has been near impossible, and he's faced some big punchers in the middleweight division. He, too, has an excellent jab. Um, and I think this would end up being a decision uh, fight. I think it would be exciting and interesting. Golovkin would try and hurt Hearns, who, of course, at a couple of times against big punchers was hurt. My own guess is that Tommy Hearns would probably eke out a decision win over Golovkin, uh, and or it might be more than eking out. I don't know, but I would pick him probably to win a decision. It would be a fascinating fight. I think it would be very exciting. And certainly Golovkin is in the conversation to win, but I think I'd lean toward Hearns in that match. And you've had a lot of chances to spend time with Tommy Hearns post-career. Is he doing well? Yeah, I just saw Tommy at the uh, Marvin Hagler uh, Memorial, and uh, for the most part, Tommy's doing pretty well hanging in there. Okay, fantastic. Our next question from Roger Bakes. What new or improved technical boxing skills may Wilder have worked on or, in, or developed in preparation for his third fight with Fury? Well, one of them apparently is not answering questions from the press because he decided not to do that at the press conference for the fight with, uh, with Fury. Uh, he made a statement and then let Malik Scott, his new trainer, who's replacing Mark Breland, do all the talking for him. Uh, you know, they have an interesting challenge because what can they do? How can they alter this man who's in his mid-30s and has had a full career already, even though he started boxing at a late age? I think the, the, the two main things are when Deontay Wilder jabs effectively, he keeps himself on balance. And when he's on balance, he can land that big right hand, the one that twice knocked down Tyson Fury and got him within an inch of winning the first fight against Fury, which ended up being a draw. Fury just barely beat the count the, the second knockdown. And so I think they're going to – and Malik Scott – uh, was known as a jabber when he was a heavyweight, uh, and that was his major calling card. Then again, so was Mark Breland, uh, who trained uh, Wilder before that, a famous uh, welterweight uh, Olympic gold medalist and welterweight champion. But 
the question is, can they work on that jab and make sure that it works for Wilder and that it keeps him on balance to land a big right hand? That's what he's got to do in that fight. And so I think those are the two things I would concentrate most if I was him. Sounds good. We've got a great interview ahead. Yeah, we do indeed. Uh, Erickson Lubin, who is a fine 154-pound fighter, uh, and we'll be taking on Jason Rosario in uh, a big match on June 26th on that the undercard of that uh, Barrios Gervonta Davis Showtime pay-per-view, and it's been an interesting road for uh, Lubin, uh, losing uh, to Jermel Charlo, being knocked out, but then putting a big a win streak together now to put himself in position to potentially get back and win a title at 154 pounds. Here's our chat with Erickson Lubin. Erickson, I appreciate you uh, joining me and uh, looking forward, as all boxing fans are, to your fight with Jason Rosario uh, coming up. It is uh, the chief support to uh, Gervonta Davis and Mario Barrios, but many people believe that it could be the fight that uh, steals the show. You have taken on a significant challenge. Uh, you're in a position where you, you're number one contender, but yet you've taken on this tough challenge. Uh, what led you to, to, to fight uh, Rosario at this point? Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't back down from nobody. Uh, I don't want any tune-ups as well. I want, I want, you know, to fill my resume with great opponents to where, like, you know, when I'm champion, I'm gonna go down the list, and I'm gonna have beaten everybody in the weight class, and it's gonna it's gonna be bittersweet to do so, you know, and to earn, you know, I'm I'm earning every shot, every title, uh, the title shot that I'm about to earn is gonna be earned. It's not gonna be given, you know. Um, people won't look back and say, "Oh, I ain't fight nobody." Yeah, you've you and you've fought a uh, in in general in your career a, a good group of, of fighters for sure. Now, in your last fight against. Um, it was a unique fight in so many ways because for seven and a half rounds, it was very much a defensive struggle in which both both of you were trying to pick your spots. And uh, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, in the last four and a half rounds or so, both of you erupted offensively. Um, was that kind of a... Uh, has that happened before in fights with you where you see that you're... It's, you know... Both fighters are unable to get off as much as they'd like offensively for a while. You gotta, you gotta figure some fighters out, and it, 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 it kind of took. It didn't take me too long, but I was having success with just you know the basics. I was right. faster than he was, and I, I was just you know more elusive than he was. So I was able to get off shots quicker than he was. I wasn't, um, you know, he's from the same pedigree as me. So I, you know, I take my hat off to Terrell because. He's from the same pedigree. He he has skill. He's more technical than people think. He has a good high guard defense. Yes. And I had to do a lot of things like different. I had to, you know, pick my spots, and so did he. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good way to describe it because actually both of you were uh, technically were sound. It's just that you neither man could get as much offense probably um, as they wanted. But it was yeah, an important win what, for you. Take, I'm sorry. Yeah, to just take what you can get in that fight. Just yeah. Take what you can get. And I, I was the better man for, for most of those rounds. Yeah, you won a lot of the early rounds. It just, they were maybe a little closer than 
than they might have been. But but yeah, there's no question you had a had an edge. And then the last five rounds were were very action packed. Um, now, you have put together a long uh, winning streak since your loss to Jamel Charlo. And you're uh, reading the quotes from you. I thought very interesting how you talk about how that setback um, kind of got you really focused on boxing and realizing that you can't take anything for granted in the sport. Right. Well, I mean, you know, com coming out of the amateurs, I was highly touted. And then, you know, um, they put they they didn't they didn't put you know just anyone in front of me. But, you know, I was getting rid of some guys fairly quick. And, you know, I was just, you know, it was, I was new in the game. I was young, new, and I just, you know, I let some of it get to me. But, you know, um, after taking that loss, it was a big learning lesson for me. And I just felt like, you know, um, had to take boxing way more serious. I got the skills and put in hard work and, and, and talent together. You know, that's just, that's real hard to beat. And I know, I know what it takes to get there now. You have a uh, unique relationship with um, your trainer, uh, who is a terrific guy. Um, and you guys have, you know, I think forged the kind of relationship that uh, that most fighters and trainers would want to have. Yeah, absolutely. Me and Kev, me and Kev, man, we, we, we work real good together. He's great Kevin, with Sal. I should say Kevin Cunningham is your trainer, just in for folks that don't know. But uh, yeah, you two have forged a great relationship. Yeah, Kevin, he's great with Southpaw. So, you know, all he, all he's doing is just tuning me up for every 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 camp we go into, even on downtime. You know, he's always teaching me something. There's always something new that I'm learning throughout camp, throughout just downtime and when I don't have a date. So like, you know, I, I built a relationship with Kev to where like, you know, we, we're clicking on all cylinders at all times. You make a good point. You know, you said success with so many left-handers going all the way back to Corey Spinks. Um, it is interesting, isn't it? That and all you know, different people have different strengths and different. Uh, I, I can think of different trainers and think of how some of them train a certain style of fighters even better, and they uh, and there seems to be something about him understanding the nature of of left-handers, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. He, he, he's taught me things that, you know, um, you know, I, I haven't thought about doing as a pro professional, just different tricks and can't tell you, but, you know, he, he's taught me some stuff, man. Yeah, very interesting. In this uh, winning streak that you've been on uh, in big wins, like your win over Gallimore and uh, you actually beat Gachet and a couple of other really good fighters, since you had that loss to Charlo, you, it seems like you've actually to many people kind of even refined your skills. Do you see growth during that period for yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. And that was part of me getting with Kevin, you know, just, you know, learning different, being with a Hall of Fame type trainer like Kevin and just learning new things. And, you know, I got out of my hometown of Orlando and just, you know, I came down here and I just, I got real comfortable with being uncomfortable being with Kevin. And, you know, I just, I, I knew I had to take my skills to another level. And that's exactly what he's been doing with me. You mentioned Orlando. It's the home of a number of great fighters. My good friend Antonio Tarver, uh, who was my colleague at Showtime, and uh, I covered many uh, times before, and many other champions as well. It's kind of a hotbed of terrific fighters. Does there, do you get the sense in Orlando, a great, uh, I know you have a lot of fans there. There's, there's something about that town for producing excellent fighters. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of great fighters over there. You know, um, I grew up with many. Um, Orlando has a lot of fighters. You know, I'm, I'm right now. I'm leading the way, though. I'm leading the way for a lot of Orlando fighters, and um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it'll grow more. I'm sure, the fighters will get exposed more, and they they gonna come out and do their thing. Yeah, well, you've you, yeah, you're carrying the carrying the torch on. You are in a division, the 154 pound division, that is one of the two or three best in the sport of boxing for sure. And many of you, what's made this division great, I think, is that so many of you fought each other. You know, in an era in boxing in which sometimes we don't get the matches that we would like, uh, the 100 nobody can criticize the fighters at 154 pounds as demonstrated by you fighting Rosario, getting ready for to hopefully, from your standpoint, fight the winner of uh, Charlo and Castaño. We'll get to that in just a moment. But this division is a great one to be in in a lot of ways to create big fights, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, me and Rosario, you know, I started off with Gachet. Gachet, he, he's a world title contender. Um, even fighting Gallimore, a lot of guys didn't want to fight Gallimore. They feared him. Um, Ishe Smith, he was coming off two good fights um, against Tony Harrison and uh, Julian J. Rock Williams. And I, that's what I want to do. I don't want any, any tune-up fights. I want the best guys in the division. I want to show that I'm the best at 154 pounds. Do you, um, let's talk about the Rosario fight for a second. Uh, th that fight is, uh, he's, he's a fighter who only has, you know, he, he lost his fight to Jamel Charlo recently, but wants to get right back into the title picture. He, he upset Julian Williams, who you mentioned, uh, in a, in a win that, uh, and had another upset win prior to that, which put him on the, on the map. What kind of fighter is he and what, challenges does he present to you um i think i think he's a he's a he's a good fighter he's a former world champion but i have to say that um i think this is a bad comeback fight for him you know after getting knocked out i think this is a yeah. bad comeback for him. Uh, i'm not i'm not i'm not looking to give up anything you know i'm, I'm looking to continue this win streak i'm on and get right back to the title and become world champion so He's in the way, and I know what I got to do. I got to take care of him so I can get back to Charlo or Castanio, the winner of them two. And I'm excited. I'm excited. He's he's a great fighter. He has good punching power, but my skills are second to none. And you know, I, I don't think I don't think he has um, the skills that I have. You know, I, I punch just like him. I, I I got punching power as well, but I just feel like I, my, my skills are way better than his. Than his, so I'll be able to set him up with a lot of things. And you mentioned that coming back to face you right after that knockout, that's a tough uh, order. Yeah, that is. That is. Yeah, that, that definitely is. You know, after losing to Charlo, he, he wants to come back and just rush right into it. You know, after I lost to Charlo, it, they gave me, you know, this is my sixth fight. I'm, I wish I could have right back to Charlo, but I had to go through six different people, different contenders, former world champions and he's he's also on this list so I got he's another stepping stone to that world title but I'm not looking don't don't get me wrong I won't look at him as no light task yeah. I definitely understandably um yeah. so assuming you win this fight uh and you're put yourself in a position now um uh a month or so down the road 
Uh, Jermel Charlo is going to take on Brian Castaño in another 154-pound fight that's very anticipated and should be a really exciting one. Uh, number one, how do you see that fight going? Uh, and I know you want to fight the winner. What do you think of that particular fight? Uh, I think it's a great matchup. It's another one of those fights. You know, 154 is producing just great fights. Nobody's ducking each other. And, you know, um, I think Castaño's a great fighter. He's just much smaller than Charlo. So we'll see if he's able to apply pressure and just stay on Charlo or have better bo boxing skills than him um, to where he, he's able to come out with the win. But I think Charlo's going to uh, maybe pull out the win. Yeah, you lean to Charlo. Would you like to see Charlo win so that you could avenge that loss? Absolutely, absolutely. If I have to, if I if, if I got to be honest, yeah, I want to see Charlo win. I want, I want my rematch. Yeah, um, and you've talked about that. While you know that was a setback, it's one that you would like to alter. Yeah, for sure. You know, it was it was, it was four, almost four years ago. I was much younger, much much more immature. Now I've matured way, way more. And then I got, you know, got with Kevin and just, you know, I'm, I'm, he's bringing something out of me that, you know, that, that, that wasn't there before that actually was there, but you know, that the world hasn't seen. Yeah. And you're still so young, you're in your mid twenties and you're, and you got, you know, a long, long time to go. So clearly time is on your side as well. Um, when you look at the landscape of boxing today and, and the sport has been doing much better in the last several years. There's been a, a kind of a, I think, a, a renewed interest in it. Do you sense that in as as a participant in the sport? Do you sense that the sport is uh, is making strides? Yeah, it is for sure. Like even looking at the 135 pound division, yeah. there's a lot, a lot of great fighters in that division. I'm, that's one of the, the weight classes I I get excited for. 147 is great. 175 is great. You know, I, I watch a lot of boxing, so I don't miss no boxing. I see what's going on all the time. 154 is a great weight class. So we're doing great things right now. And I feel like all the fights that should be happening should just happen. They, they need to make it happen. Yeah, they're starting to. And uh, and you, it's funny, you and uh, Kevin also in talking about this, you guys have talked about how, you, you know, this fight with you fighting Rosario and, and the fact that all the 154 pounders are fighting each other is kind of the template for how boxing should be. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like the old days, like like Marvin Hagler and Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard and Durant. The, you know, that, I'm, I got that old school type of thing in me. Like, I, that's the type of type of fights I like watching, type of fights I like being a part of. All right, well, you may well be uh, um, on uh, uh, when you get on June 26th when you step in the ring with uh, Jason Rosario on the pay-per-view that will feature Javante Davis um, and Mario Barrios, which is also an intriguing fight to be sure. Uh, and before I let you go, uh, let me just ask you, in terms of your uh, maturation and what you want to see as your – legacy in this sport what do you see as your ultimate goal in terms of uh both weight classes and what you want to achieve i'm looking to take over boxing i'm I, I'm, a, I'm a huge competitor and i i don't you know i, I don't see nobody 
you know, um, wanting it as bad as I want it. I want it so bad. So I just, I feel like, you know, it's up to me to go ahead and capture a world title and defend it many times and become undisputed and go up weight classes and, and just fight the biggest fights possible and coming out victorious. You know, I had a setback with Charlo, but those are the type of fights that I like. I like the, t the type of fights where everyone's anticipating. And, you know, it's my job to go out there and just come out on top. So I feel like, you know, in the near future, I'll be able to go ahead and um, get those fights. Like, you know, a fight with Rosario is big. It's a big fight. There's no, there's, there's no world title on the line, but it's a big fight that the yeah. fans want. But, you know, after this one, you know, we looking, we looking towards a, a world title shot. And there's no doubt in my mind that I'll be world champion in the near future. All right, well, I look forward to seeing you on uh, June 26th. And thanks so much for taking time with me, Erickson. Thanks for having me. So Erickson Lubin uh, showing us that he really, really wants to get back in the mix at 154 pounds in terms of winning a world title. And uh, we'll see if he can do that, uh, if he can beat Jason Rosario first uh, and then maybe get a chance at the uh, winner of Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño's unification match. Uh, we have some more questions, I believe. So uh, what do you say, Mr. Tripp? Let's uh, get down to business. Rob Ovitt asks, in their prime, who would you pick in a fight between Joe Frazier and Mike Tyson? Well, what would you rather, what more would you rather, uh, fight would you rather see than that one? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that's, you know, that, that's the ultimate time travel fight uh, to me. Uh, and, you know, I know a lot of people feel like, Mike Tyson, who is a slightly bigger heavyweight than Joe Frazier, and of course is a good puncher, most people tend to give him the edge in the fight, uh, I think probably. Uh, you know, I think that that might be true, but I'll tell you what, here's the thing about Joe Frazier. If he gets through those first three or four rounds with Mike Tyson and doesn't succumb, and doesn't the power doesn't do anything to him. I'm going to tell you something, man. He's going to be hell on wheels for Tyson the rest of the way. And once Mike Tyson doesn't get his way with you, we all know think good things don't usually happen to him. You know, the, 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 there was a fragility there that took place uh, at some point in the fight often. And there is no discouraging Joe Frazier. Uh, and Joe Frazier himself had some pop. So I think that fight, if it carries past five or six rounds, I favor Joe Frazier in it. But if Tyson could get him out within the first five rounds, I think it would be a, a Tyson victory. But I, I, you know, it would be one of the most entertaining matches ever that you could take a look at. Yeah. And on the Tyson front, where were you uh, when Buster Douglas had the upset were you watching Home in Vegas? No, I was at an event, uh, a charity event in uh, with, of all people, Donald Trump. <laughs> true, true story. Uh, it was at one of the, the Trump Plaza or Trump Castle. It was an Italian-American event also, which is intriguing. How I ended up there, I have no idea. My wife's <laughs> Italian, so I guess that's what it was. And it was a charity event. Uh, Johnny Russo, who's a singer who had a role in The Godfather, did a concert, and it was we were all there helping make an appearance for, uh, the, for charity. And uh, I watched the fight uh, with uh, 
up in a room with a bunch of these celebrities like Paul Sorvino and a bunch of other uh, actors and Donald Trump and his his guys. And they were set to do the the Michaels uh, or the Michaels. I think it was the Michael Spinks, uh, Mike Tyson fight next. No, it was Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson oh, fight. Wow. That's what it was. And and here's Buster Douglas upsetting the apple cart. Uh, so they watched in horror as uh, Douglas beat Mike Tyson. At one point, one of uh, his minions said to me, "Wow, we're really nervous." He said, uh, "He said uh, you don't." He said to me, "You don't think Douglas can win this fight?" I said, "Yeah, it looks like it. <laughs> looks like it's very possible that he can win that fight." Uh, the Donald wasn't too happy uh, at that event because they lost a lot of money, uh, and um, he, uh, they were. Uh, they were not thrilled at the event uh, and how it took place. That's funny. And uh, about a couple months later, Buster Douglas signed with Steve Wynn, and Steve Wynn gave him one of those ceremonial million-dollar checks. Yes. And an hour later, he was over in Valley Bank trying to cash the actual check, and he wanted a million dollars. <laughs> and the people at the bank said, we can do this for you, Mr. Douglas, but it just take a little while. We don't have it sitting around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, speaking of only in Vegas, but not necessarily, uh, this question from Boxing and Weed. Al, did you hit any of that loud pack that Snoop was puffing on in the Triller show, or just did you get did you just get a contact high? <laughs> yeah, now this question has been asked of me in so many different forms since uh, that show that I figured I might as well might as well deal with it. Uh, so yeah, on that, I mean it was a very unconventional show. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I had uh, Pete Davidson on one hand and Snoop on the other. They're both, you know, smoking. And uh, I'm right in the middle of them. And I don't know if I ever actually caught a contact high during the course of the show. I did have a sip of wine. I drank a toast. That's the only time I've ever done that on, on, on the air. Um, I did not actively participate in the uh, – I, I, I'm no prude. I lived through the 80s. And, uh, you know, so as enough said there, uh, so, so I'm hardly a prude when it comes to uh, uh, recreational uh, drugs, but I, uh, I did not participate. I don't know if I got a big contact high. Probably the people watching me in the broadcast would be a better judge because it's conceivable uh, that based on what I said, I might have, uh, they might have noticed the contact high. I'm not sure. So I did. Um, so anyway, that's my that's my final answer on that one. And we'll put that one to rest. And since I'm not likely to do any more of the Triller cards, which sadly they they're they're Tiafimo Lopez. Uh, uh, of course, his card with um, George Cambosis, uh, the Triller card got uh, pushed back to August 14th when uh, Tiafimo Lopez caught uh, COVID, which I feel bad about. And I wish the Triller folks the best of luck with their with their product, and uh, they'll be back on August fourteenth, uh, I think, with that fight. And I, I certainly wish uh, Tiafimo a, a speedy recovery uh, from COVID nineteen. Uh, Tommy Ankello, our good friend, who has a great uh, YouTube channel called World Class Boxing, we want you to check that out. Great videos, informative ones, and historical ones. Uh, and uh, so we we had a lot of fun and. Uh, we're gonna, we got a lot of boxing still coming up in the future trip, and we, we got a lot of great guests coming up as well. And great questions from everyone out there. We appreciate them. Yeah, keep sending it to us at Al Bernstein at, uh, on Twitter, and we'll, uh, we'll endeavor to answer as many as possible. 
We'll see you next time.